The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On this show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover the steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nasser, and I'm a mortgage broker at Lens Street. And I really love helping people buy their first home. In today's episode, we're speaking to Betsy Westcott. Betsy is a financial wellness coach with a background in financial planning. She is passionate about helping people find financial freedom by understanding and nurturing their relationship with money. This inspired Betsy to start her own financial wellness coaching business as a platform to fulfill this passion. On top of this, she's also the Chief Revenue Officer of an upcoming fintech company called Fupay. As a first home buyer, understanding and developing good money habits is a key foundational concept and is critical for your long-term success. Today, we'll be discussing what a financial wellness coach is and how they can help first home buyers. You'll hear the importance of your mindset when it comes to money and how to ensure you're in the right one. What to do if you develop bad money habits and we'll go through some frameworks and strategies that a first home buyer can adopt to help them accelerate their savings. So let's jump in. Betsy, welcome. Thank you for your time today. You're a financial wellness coach. And today we're going to be discussing some important topics for first home buyers about the concept of money and financial wellness. And before we get going into that, just thought we'd start it off by getting to know you. So to start out, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic because home ownership is absolutely a big dream and a really you know high priority goal for a lot of people. So I think it's fabulous that there's resources like this out there to support people in that journey. It is a journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> but in terms of my background, I've been in the finance game for 12 plus years now. Time is getting away. I started out working in bank branches as a little teller and then a home lender and eventually became a bank manager and ran branches across Sydney for a while. I then moved into what I call the Disneyland of banking, private banking, where you advise wealthy families and individuals around not only their day-to-day finances, but their investing and wealth creation strategies, but also things like their philanthropic interests and how do they create legacy and how do they protect themselves and their families for generations to come. So it was a really fun role. And that's where I became qualified as a financial advisor. I'm also qualified as a mortgage broker. In the last few years, I've been playing around in the fintech space. I helped launch a neobank. Right now, I'm a chief revenue officer of a financial wellness fintech. But what I get a lot of joy out of is those one-to-one relationships with people. So I actually run my financial coaching business as a bit of a side hustle. And it just makes me so happy because I love 
teaching people about money and helping them understand and really enhance their relationship with money so that they can create a life that they feel really excited about and proud of. So I do that through one-on-one coaching. I also run boot camps where people can kind of get financially fit with me for a few weeks. Well, I mean, the biggest take I'm getting from this is there's money all around. Um, So really, since you've started working, you've really gone through that journey of being involved in money in many different ways. So you've seen money and money habits and money traits and the way people spend money and use money pretty much most of your working life. So when it comes to financial wellness and a financial wellness coach, for those who don't know, what is it? Yes, it's kind of a new space, a new category that's been created. So to put some context around it, financial advice is when you work with someone and they give you very specific advice around exactly what you should do with your money, where it should be invested, what insurance policy you should buy, what specific house you should buy, which is a really important service. However, because of the Banking Royal Commission and the future of financial advice reforms and a a number of different other things that have happened in our political environment, that's meant that financial advice has become very highly regulated and very expensive, which means for a lot of people, they can no longer afford to access it. The reality is for most of us, we don't always need that specific transactional advice. Often what we really need is a bit of education and a bit of coaching around our habits to actually create a lot of financial well-being and really improve our relationships and our outcomes with our money. So I play in this space where I don't tell you specifically what to do, where to invest, what house to buy, but I spend time really helping you understand your money mindset and your relationship and behaviours with money, but also educating you around foundational things that, you know, we should all know about our money, how to manage our cash flow and create winning money frameworks. How do we buy a house? How does investing work? And what do we need to understand to invest safely and successfully? What's your super fund all about? And why should you show it some love and attention? As well as things like how to protect yourself from life's little surprises like global pandemics. (laughs) That's pretty relevant right now. (laughs) Yes, super relevant right now. So I'm all about like education and helping you learn to fish so to speak so you know the old analogy like teach a man to fish he'll have fish for life or if you just catch him a fish he'll eat for a day I'm all about that like teaching you how to fish teaching you to be the you know cash flow king or queen of your own life so you've got confidence you've got really good skills to really create some strong foundations for yourself and then if you do want to engage with a financial advisor a mortgage broker an accountant, you're coming at it from a much more informed and confident place, which I think is really powerful. Yeah, I think being aware of the mindset around it is critical. And we'll definitely touch on mindset a little bit later on. But knowing that there's something out there that can assist us with that is pretty powerful, I think. We'll touch on a bit of that later. So in terms of what a financial wellness coach actually does with somebody, what are the types of activities that you would do with an individual on a day-to-day basis when it comes to financial wellness? Yes. So I work with individuals and couples one-on-one. And then I also have like the boot camps, which is like a course. So on an individual level, I'll spend time kind of getting to know you, understanding what's prompted you to reach out. There's usually a trigger where someone's like, 
I really want to start financially adulting yes. and need some help. Yeah. So it could be just a trigger of moving out of home for the first time and getting your first job. The funny thing about money is one, it's often a really taboo topic that we don't talk about very freely in our society. People think it's rude to talk about money. There can be a lot of really strong emotions that are associated with money. It can mean power, prestige, be a sign of success. It can also be a source of anxiety, shame, feelings of overwhelm. So we all have access to money, but you know we're not really taught how to manage it at school. And as you said, Michael, like maybe we're lucky that we have parents that have good money behaviors and impart that knowledge. But beyond that, it's where do you go? And so it's like being given the keys to a car, but not being told how to drive. So think of me as your driving coach. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. Money. I mean, we all know, well, driving instructors, if you want to learn how to drive, you need to get an instructor. Let's move to mindset. I mean, we've said the word mm-hmm. a few times already. I think it's really the most critical part of anything really. But when it comes to buying a house, making sure your mindset's in the right place is really critical. So mindset on money, what would you explain as the importance of mindset when it comes to money? Yeah, well, let's put a definition around it. So mm-hmm. Your money mindset is your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs about money and how it works in the world. And this is really something that has a strong correlation with how you behave with money. And we know how you behave with money is what's going to drive your financial outcomes, whether you can save money easily, whether you feel confident or you don't, whether you can invest or whether you feel overwhelmed and kind of avoid your money or hand over control to other people. So if you were imagining that you were going to build a house, I'm going to use a home analogy given the topic. Yes. If you're going to build a house, your money mindset is the foundation of your home. It's the bedrock on which your home sits on. And you want that to be strong and sturdy. So it holds up your house and keeps it steady and stable and safe. So your money mindset's all about understanding the thoughts, the feelings and the behaviors we have and ensuring that those thoughts, feelings and behaviors really support what you're trying to achieve within your financial world and within your life. And often it's this thing um, that is unconsciously formed. The way that we develop this mindset is by the experiences that we have around money and the messages we receive. And ANZ um, release a financial literacy survey every year. And one of their findings is that our money mindset is often formulated very early in life, much of it by the time we're eight years old. Wow. I don't know about you, Michael, yeah. but eight-year-old Betsy did not know what was up. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea either. I still had no idea, right? So <laughs> what chance did I have at eight? <laughs> exactly. And so so sometimes these messages receive, it might be, you know, we're here for a good time, not a long time, so spend your money. Or, you know, it's really important to save for a rainy day. You don't want to be caught out without money. So, you know, make sure you're really careful and you save. Or it could be even messages around people who have lots of money are smarter and more talented than the rest of us. Or conversely, people who have lots of money have obviously done something less than noble to get there and possibly they're corrupt and all these different things. There's lots of variations of money mindset out there. But these things have formed at such a young age. And if you're not 
conscious of them, if you're not mindful of them, what they do is they can really lead to you behaving in lots of different ways with money, sometimes in ways that are counterproductive and can often like self-sabotage your goals. So for example, I had a, a client I was working with who really wanted to one day own her own home and create that financial security for herself. However, her mindset was what I call the money monk mindset, where you have a really strong value around doing noble work in the world and that, you know, to accumulate too much wealth is a bad thing and that money is kind of a little bit evil and a little bit corrupt. And she wasn't conscious of this, but how it was manifesting in her life is that every time her account balance of savings got high, she would start to feel really uncomfortable even though she had a goal in mind. And then there'd always be something that came up, which meant she had to like help someone out or give some of it away or even just spend it so that there wasn't too much sitting in her account. So again, it was just like the mindset was not supporting her goals and it was actually preventing her from being successful in what she was doing. So if you can spend some time becoming conscious about this, you can take steps to change it, to make sure it's supporting you to be successful. So I tell everyone, because your mindset does form at such a young age, your money mindset is not your fault, but it is your responsibility to change it if it doesn't support you to achieve the financial goals and lifestyle goals that you want. Yeah, I think that's the key point there. If it doesn't support what you are looking to achieve. And I think that's where a lot of people do fall into that category. I always sort of think of money, it's almost like a diet, I guess, in one way. Like You know what you need to do, but then it's like you still don't do what you need to do if you're trying to get that aim of, of losing weight. Because you know what it is, but for some reason or another, maybe it's self-control. You just can't stick to it. And all of a sudden you're binging on food or whatever that may be, or, you know, and so I always see a close analogy with money and food in terms of how you are. And I think it comes down to that discipline and you mentioned it becoming unconscious or it being mm. unconscious really and, and not knowing. And so you're doing all these activities thinking it's normal and maybe normal for you, but is it the normal way about achieving that goal? So flipping unconscious to conscious, I think is the essence of mindset. And it's sort of making it more conscious, obviously, and more in the mind and more like, this is what I need to do. And it's sort of like, it's creating that plan. Absolutely. And there's really simple ways that you can start create awareness around your money mindset. You can spend some time reflecting on, you know, what were the key messages I received about money? What are some of my earliest money memories that I have? What do I believe to be true about money? What are some of the reactions I have when I earn money, when I spend money, when I lose money, when I win money to kind of create some mindfulness around that. You can also do some money personality tests as a way to create a little bit of awareness. That sounds fun. Yeah, it is pretty fun. There's one on my website, (laughs) which you can do. Yeah, we're going to link to that as well so people can check that out. Yeah. And look, it's a little bit art, a little bit science, but the point of it is, is to just kind of understand what are your typical behaviors around money so that you can create a structure and a framework for your money that acknowledges that and wins with it. So for example, if you are someone who enjoys spending money, spending money brings you joy, makes you feel good. If you're even spending it on other people, that's a lot of fun for you. So someone like that, I'm not going to go, I'm going to put you on a strict budget. That sounds restrictive. They're going to want to rebel against it. It's a recipe for disaster. 
Absolutely. And it's just not going to work. So, you know, with a client like that, I would be like, okay, let's make a spending plan for your money. They're like spending plan. Yes, I can do that. Mm. But what we include in that spending plan is paying yourself first. So when your money comes in and before you pay Mr. Telstra, Ms. Rent, like all of your bills, you pay yourself mm. first. And that's when you put away money that it goes towards your long-term goals and, you know, really reframing saving mm. as to a payment to myself, to spending money on myself. And it's such a small hack. It's not really like a different no. behavior, but it's all around that reframe and that mindset. Yeah. And that's what you want to do with your money is set it up so that it really supports your impulses, but also it supports your goals. And there's lots of different ways to do that. It's got to work ultimately. And if it's going to not work from the beginning and you can tell, then it's got no chance. So to give it the best opportunity, you've got to understand who you are as a person and your money profile and how that is and how that looks. And when you know what that is, then you can successfully make the next step to making sure you're heading in the right direction with the best possibility of success. So if yep. we flip it now to some practicalities for some a first home buyer, how can a first home buyer ensure that they are in the right mindset? What are some things that you've seen in the past or some tips that you might be able to provide to the first home buyer to ensure that they are in the right mindset? And if they're not, how they can get into the right mindset? Yeah. So first of all, spend some time thinking about this goal. So the goal might be home ownership. Now, even just ask yourself, is this my goal? Because a lot of us, have some inbuilt beliefs around the messages we've received that the only path to wealth creation, the the only responsible adult thing to do, the only measure of success is home ownership. But for many people, they adopt these beliefs and adopt these goals without it actually being what they really want out of life. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just about Are you living a life that you want, that you love? So for example, for me, I really value security. That makes me feel good. That makes me feel safe. It makes me feel confident. So home ownership for me was a really important step in life because it made me feel Mm. secure and confident and happy. But I've also got friends who are much more nomadic and they really value flexibility and freedom. And so adopting a goal like home ownership for that individual doesn't really make sense because home ownership is a commitment and it does kind of anchor you to a place in some degree. So if you are someone who wants to create wealth, but your belief is home ownership is the only way, you might actually self-sabotage because by taking steps to achieve your goal, you're actually going against that sense of feeling and freedom. So just first working out, is this my goal? And is this what I really want? And if that's yes, perfect. Next step, what's it going to take? So getting some advice and doing some research to find out, well, how much does it actually cost to buy a home? What kind of deposit do I need? How much can I borrow? So that's getting really specific around your goals. And I talk a lot to clients around how to write winning financial goals because Often they'll come to me and they're like, I want to buy a house. And I was like, cool, tell me about that. And they're like, well, I want to buy a house. That's it. I was like, any more detail? I'm like, no. I was like, Go okay, let's make this. Because <laughs> that's the thing. To have really winning goals, you need to say, what's the goal? How much is it going to cost to do it? 
and by when. And if you can also add in the why, why is this goal important to you? That's really powerful because you can make a really good plan around that. But it's also really powerful because you know what's motivating you and you can come back to that. And that's important because often these goals do take time to achieve and you need compelling reasons to keep you on track. I've been bombarded this week with like after pay day sales activities. And, you know, so then the choice is, do I spend $200 on a new dress or do I put that towards my goal? If the goal is compelling and exciting and you can see where you're headed, you're going to stay on track. Whereas if it's really vague and in the future and it's not really clear around how you're going to achieve it, those tempting marketing emails are going to have a lot more influence over you and a higher chance of throwing yeah. you off track. There's that marketing again, always pops up. <laughs> oh, it's there. <laughs> like our phones are just yeah. like a permanent marketing device, Absolutely. aren't they? Yeah, not, <laughs> not good when it comes to saving. I think identifying with the why is critical because Absolutely. like the diet that I alluded to earlier, it's very easy to sway. And then when you sway, you can get it right the next week if something does happen. So you can have a bad week. And I think the stronger you know and connect with that why, the more likely you are that you do something wrong. If something does go out of place, you can quickly fix it up the following week and say, okay, no, got that plan, got that why, this is why I'm doing it. It kind of brings you back to that point and then it makes it a lot more powerful for you. And I think creating that target is critical. And from the target, then you can develop the strategy Mm -hmm. and That's important too, because you want it to be achievable. Mm. I've seen people who come to me and, you know, they live here in Sydney where if you're buying a house or maybe an apartment for say 500,000, you know, a 20% deposit is a hundred grand. So unless you're earning really big bucks, setting a goal to save a hundred grand in a year might not be realistic. And then if that's your plan and that's your goal, and you're, it's not realistic that you can actually achieve that based on what your income is and what your spending is, you're going to feel like a failure when you shouldn't. You might save 40 grand that yep. year and that's a bloody great result. Yeah, but yeah. if your expectation was 100, you're going to feel like a failure. So it's that balance of like know yourself, be clear around what your goal is, why you want to do it, what's the strategy to do it, and then setting up frameworks that support that strategy so you give yourself the best chance of success to reach it. Ensure that it's achievable. You've got to be able to achieve it. Otherwise, there's no point having it. You're on, again, recipe for disaster when you don't reach it. So I think that that's really important as well. So that's a great point. So what about the question of adjusting mindset? If someone knows that they are not in the right mindset, and let's say they've gone down the path of, you know what, I do want to buy a house. That's what I want to do. I want the why. I've figured it out. But that delayed gratification just isn't working for me. Like that afterpay advertisement of 30% off for that Gucci bag or whatever it may be is just too compelling. I need that now. I don't want to wait two or three years for that house. What could you tell somebody that's in that mindset in terms of how they can adjust it? So it's going to be a combination of reframing those limiting beliefs or those limiting behaviors and combining it with actions that are going to support you to get towards what you really want. So for example, if you had the mindset of property prices in Sydney are just too expensive and I'll never be able to afford a home, the impact of that mindset might be that you just never bother saving because you've got this really strong narrative that it's not achievable. Reframing that to be 
I'm really clear on my goals and every day I'm getting closer to the dream. That is a much more empowering mindset because it's saying that like, okay, I recognize this is going to take some time, but if it's important to me enough, I'm going to keep working at it and I'm making progress every day, every week, every month. I'm getting closer. And so that builds that confidence and that excitement. But then you need to support that mindset with actions that kind of keep reinforcing that, reinforcing the belief, reinforcing your behaviors and reinforcing your success. So some examples might be, first of all, whatever that, like adopting a new money mantra, something around every day I'm getting closer to my dream. I've got everything within me to to be a financial success. Write that on like your phone background, on your mirror, put it in a frame, create a vision board, something where you can keep seeing that. Set up your bank accounts so that you pay yourself first. You put away those home savings before the Gucci bag, before the after payday sales kind of things come in so that you can spend money because you know you've already started taking care of your goal because you want balance in your life. Mm. Nobody wants to be on a restrictive budget eating Maggi two-minute noodles for 10 years. No, way too much salt. And got time for that. So setting it up so your framework's there. Now, if you get tempted to dip into your savings, let me tell you, younger Betsy, especially drunk younger Betsy, was very bad at dipping into her I'm sure that's pretty relatable. (laughs) Especially like if it was in the same banking app and it's just like transfer and it's like 2am in the morning and I'm like, shots on me. (laughs) If that's something that is a risk for you, set it up so that your home deposit is with a different bank. It might take a day or two for the transfer to come out so that you reduce the access to your money uh, so those impulses can't play out kind of thing. And then maybe even getting like a coach or a buddy, like setting up a regular money date with a really trusted friend where you guys, you know, compare or talk about ways that you're working towards your goals. So you've got accountability. Like these are just some examples that reframing of the mindset and then complementing it with actions that support your goals. It's going to be like using your fitness analogy. It's going to be building muscle strength. So this is like your money muscle strength. You're not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger the first time you go to the gym, but if you do it consistently, learn new things, keep practicing, you're going to be a pretty buff Betty by the end of it. Well, that's it. It's all about exercise exactly and just that regular keeping on doing it, keeping on, keeping on because that training is what gets you to where you need to be and it it took Arnold a long time to get to where he wanted to be and a lot of training (laughs) but we don't see that, do we? We just see the end result ultimately. If it's okay with you, let's jump to some frameworks and some strategies. Mm -hmm. I know we've probably spoken about a few of these but let's see if there's anything here that we can flesh out to help our listeners with these types of things. So what are some active challenges Changes that can be made in spending and saving habits. I've touched on that first one of yeah. like paying yourself first. So as soon as your money comes in, take out that amount that you are allocating towards your goals before you even get a chance to spend it. Bonus points if you can automate this. Because if it's automated, it happens, you don't even think about it. You know, for me, when I was, and this is not a recommendation of a strategy, but sharing of a story, I moved to Sydney from country Western Queensland, vastly different house prices. (laughs) My deposit in Sydney was like buying a home outright where I grew up. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. (laughs) 
And a financial <laughs> shock. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I was working in the bank branch and as a staff member, I could have a chat with a financial advisor. So I went and had a chat with this advisor and I said, look, I really want to save for a home. And my goal back then was to save about 120000 And I was like, you know, I'm only earning, I think it was like maybe 70000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do I need to do to get there? And first of all, he helped me figure out, well, okay, first the goal is 120 based on your income this is how much you can save towards that my income and spending but then he also helped me create strategies around using investing to help me get there quicker but it also limited my access to money so that we didn't let drunk Betsy (laughs) sabotage the home goals yes it was also important so that kind of setting up the habit of putting Mm. money aside first is really good the second thing is actually have a bit of a review of your spending because for a lot of us we might sign up to a subscription we've got a gym member We have the habit of going out to brunch three times a week. Just take some time to review your spending and kind of rate it. Like what's a high priority spend, something that's really important to me, not negotiable. What are my medium priority spends, things that I love, but I could live without. And then like, what is the low priority spend? Like money leaks, like things that I'm spending money on that don't bring me joy, that I don't really care about, but I kind of just incidentally spend it. So get that awareness and then reprioritize your spending so that your money's going to the things that matter. So you're meeting your bills every day that you've got money for having fun, but that you've also got as much as you can afford without compromising lifestyle going toward that long-term goal. So that would be the second thing. And that obviously long-term goal would be the savings, obviously that needs to be accumulated for you to buy the first home or your first home. That's the goal here. So how would you recommend a first home buyer organise their finances in this saving phase? I mean, I think we've touched on that for the most part or is there anything more to add? Well, what I would say is set up your bank accounts so that they support your plan. So for a lot of us, we just have one account and maybe one savings account. And then like in that one transaction account, the money comes in, We've got money to cover our bills. We've also got money for having fun, Mm. maybe money for holidays, but it's all sloshing around in the one account. And you've got to perform this mental gymnastics to kind of keep a track of things. I don't know about you. That reeks of effort to me. I'm like all about Hell yeah. yeah. And it's no wonder it makes getting ahead with your money and keeping on top of your money hard. That just reeks of effort, yeah. mental arithmetic. No, thank you. I have not <laughs> got time for that. Next <laughs> so what I do is I set up the structure of my accounts so that I've got separate accounts for different purposes. So it's probably just like most people would call it a bills account, yeah. but the money that I have to cover those bills, insurances, memberships, the things that you got to do to be at a financial job. I then have my fun money account because that's important yeah. to make sure you're still enjoying life. So I allocate myself a certain amount that I can spend on having fun, going out, lunches, brunches, clothes, hair, makeup, be a bit different for the boys, but you get what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've got my emergency savings, which is money set aside to kind of get me out of a tight spot, be it like a job loss, getting sick, needing to replace the tires on the car, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then I would have my home deposit account, which is my long-term goals. And so whenever I got paid, some would go to bills, some would go to fun, some would go to emergency savings, although that might be full. So Mm -hmm. I can just skip emergency savings and go straight into home deposit. But they're separate They've got nicknames. 
it's automated and you know exactly what's happening and you can just like sit back and relax and your money is just taking care of itself and you don't have that extra mental load of trying to keep track of everything. That's awesome. Anyone listening to that, I would go back 30, 40 seconds and just listen to that again because of what you've just outlined there I think is fantastic and I think if there's any take home from this podcast, that last sort of minute or so is fantastic. It's awesome because if you adopt that, you are going to be so close to being on the right track of achieving your goal. That's awesome. I love it. Let's say we've set this up or something similar that works for the individual based on obviously their particular circumstances, but the inevitable, I would say inevitable, it may not be, but something happens and we end up spending all the money one week and that leads on to two weeks. And we're sort of in this rut of, hold on, I'm deviating from my goal here. My why is strong. Everything's good. I know what I need to do. What would you say to somebody who is pivoting and knows that it's happening or maybe they don't? What would you say to them to make sure that they get back to that structure? First of all, be kind to yourself. Mm. We're human. Life happens. Sometimes, you know, it's just we needed a blowout. Like, I don't know, maybe we've been in lockdown for weeks and weeks and weeks and suddenly it's lifted and we just have a big YOLO weekend, which, you know, I could That's the pipeline. (laughs) (laughs) That's happening for sure. It's all being blown that week, the money. It's all going. (laughs) It's okay to have fall off the bandwagon, to deviate from your plan, just at the next opportunity you have, get back on track. Maybe look at like what went wrong. (laughs) Was it that like, yeah, I've been locked up and I just needed a little bit of joie de vie? Mm. Or is it that something in your life has changed and you actually need to adjust your plan? If your income has been reduced, then your original savings plan may need to be adjusted to accommodate that reduction in income. If your lifestyle expenses have gone up, Can you bring them back to what they were? Or again, do you need to look for ways to reprioritize your spending or earn more income or adjust your savings strategy? So, you know, do a little bit of detective work. Go, what went wrong here? Does my strategy still make sense? Is it just something like lifestyles changed? Or is it something in your structure? Like, do you have too easier access to that money or what's going on? So figure it out. And then that will allow you to make a plan to kind of mitigate that, to offset that impulse in the future and hopefully keep you on track. But there's no good use in beating yourself up about it. Like just be nice to yourself, talk to yourself like you would your best friend and just be encouraging. Progress is progress. Absolutely, It all counts. It's important. And there's that Chinese saying like, it was a great idea to plant a tree 20 years ago. That was definitely the best time. Next best time is today. If you fall off the bandwagon, just it's the power of now, the power of today. What's the next best thing you can do? Would you recommend perhaps that somebody has these check-ins say once a week and even if they are doing well, just get into that habit of checking in because that way if you've got something set up, you've got to assume that at some point it may go pear-shaped for whatever reason. And you've mentioned a couple just then, whether it's it's work or whatever may happen. So do you think that it's best to sort of set some regular check-ins that even if you're going well, for example, you can say, okay, everything's all good this week or this month. And then obviously then the following month or the week, you could be like, hold on, things aren't. And then making sure that you're always sort of mindful of it. 100%. I think none of us are an island. We all benefit from community and support. And that might be, like I said, having a buddy that you can check in with. It could be something more formal like a coach or a financial advisor 
or even a mortgage broker, if you've got a good relationship with yeah. one who's really supportive, checking in with them every, you know, three months or, or yeah. however long. Yeah. Um, also, online communities, there's heaps of like little money communities out there. You know, you might create an accountability group within your money community yeah. and set that up. So there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. Yeah. You should be checking in with your goals every so often. I mean, daily might be a little too much, yeah. but, <laughs> but, you know, every couple of months or so, because because things do change. Your circumstances might change. Yeah. The economic environment might change. New opportunities might present themselves. So it could be, you know, good changes like there's new government grants for first home buyers or there's new, you know, super saver incentive schemes or there's a new development that's come online that might fit your goal and profile. Or sometimes they can be more challenging things like home prices have gone up and you might need to either recalibrate your expectations, change your goal to like a different area or something like that. So it's really important to have regular check-ins. Yeah, and I think being flexible about it all I think is critical too and understanding that the levers may need to be adjusted from time to time and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're staying on track. And I guess when it comes to that financial mindset, your earlier analogy of building the house of, and we've spoken a lot about savings is critical to get there. Okay, now we've got there, loan set up, or a house has been purchased and now, again, it's got to be pivoted and that's an example of a circumstance that may change. You don't want to throw away all those good habits that you might have picked up. So it's always continual and hopefully it's, it's a lifelong habit ultimately. So I saved my first home deposit, was like ready to go, yep. ready to buy. I was going to be an independent lady by myself. Yep. But I also got engaged at that same time. Okay. And so, you know, it became a question of am I buying by myself? Actually, yep. probably not anymore. Mm-hmm. And it became a, an adjustment of a team. Well, what do my partner and I want to do as a team? What are we bringing to the table? What does the next few years look like for us? So I would almost say expect that things might change and build that flexibility in. And all these habits are great. They give you options. This is what financial well-being is all about. It's that creating a life you love and one that has flexibility and can respond to your life changing and keep you feeling supported and excited. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you raised there because, I mean, when I deal with first home buyers, a lot of the times the engagement is also there because you buy your first home more often, not always, but for the most part when you find somebody and you're deciding to set up your foundation, set up the house, start the family, and so you buy this house. And ultimately understanding that there's two at that instance and that may also change the circumstance. And then prioritising is the engagement party, how do I manage this? And so having that conversation with your partner I think is critical and that's where the things that we've discussed at this point I think would be magnified in terms of importance. A hundred percent like I said I spend a lot of time working with couples and money is the number one fought about topic in relationships and it's also the number one reason for separation in the early years of marriage. So spending this time if you can invest in yourself first creating awareness around mindset good money habits is amazing and then being able to bring that to relationship and work with your partner to become a financial team is so important to not only financial success but actually really healthy relationship it sounds powerful it sounds powerful yeah it really is i love it actually it's really exciting because you know if we can intervene and set up the right practices and set up the right mindset of being a team early you can offset things that become big problems in the future by addressing them super early to wrap it up I thought I'd ask for three tips or advice you'd have for first home buyers that are looking at saving and working to that saving for buying their first home. 
Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, get really clear on your goals. So like, how much do you need to save? Where do you want to buy? Is there a time limit in which you need to do this? What's the strategy that's going to support it? And you might need to get support from a broker or a home lender, a coach and advisor to help you do that. Make sure you set yourself up for success so that your bank accounts, the way that you organize your money supports your goals long-term and don't stop having fun on the way. Like life is for living, get the balance right between working toward a goal, which is really important, but don't put too much pressure on yourself so that you can't enjoy the day-to-day because we've only got one life. A failure plan is a plan to fail. That might summarise that. And I think the money mindset is a critical part of the home buying journey. And it is important that it's done at the outset, at the beginning of the process. The later on it's done, generally the less powerful it can be. It wouldn't hurt. But if you can really nail this at the beginning, when you start looking, when you start considering, before you perhaps even approach a mortgage broker, before you approach other professionals, definitely before you go to your first open home or anything like that, really be clear. And I think what I get out of the conversation we've had to this point is really it's all about being planned, being prepared and being comfortable to talk about it and not be shy. And let's really own this and let's make the most of it and let's make our dreams come true. Uh, amen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm here for that. <laughs> for people out there that want to get in touch with you, Betsy, what's the best way that people can find you? Yes, well, I have a website, which is simply betsywestcott.com. So you can find me there and that's got all the details about how you can work with me either one-on-one with a boot camp or I also do corporate workshops. So if you want to offer your team some financial well-being, you can partner with me to do that. I'm on Instagram. That's probably my like main social media Mm -hmm. channel, that and LinkedIn because I'm a corporate dork. Mm -hmm. So you can find me at Ms. Betsy Westcott on Instagram, also Facebook at Betsy Westcott on Twitter. And you can find me at Betsy Westcott on LinkedIn. And all those details will be in the show notes. So all the links will be there. So if you need to reach out to Betsy, please feel free to do it in that way. Thank you so much for your insights and for your time. I really think our listeners are going to get a lot out of that. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by Lenstreet. Lenstreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex, so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lenstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser, and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.